What do you see every day? What do you see every day? Well, it all depends, because you see all these images coming your way, but somehow your mind sorts through that all, and you focus on certain things that your mind wants to see, all right? How does that happen? How does the brain do that? How do your eyes do that? Well, here's the thing. Behavioral scientists have discovered that we usually see things that we are prepared to see. This is all centered in a network of nerve cells in our brains called the reticular activating system. And everybody has this system operating in their brain. The reticular activating system works like this. Once something has been brought to our attention and we have been prepared to see it, we'll see it virtually everywhere we go. Uh, for example, you decide to buy a new car. You make up your mind that you're gonna buy a certain brand with a certain body style, a certain color, and after you do that, now you see that car everywhere. You never even noticed it before, but now you see it all the time. Why? Because you're gonna see them everywhere. You see them in roads, in TV, and social media, advertisements, newspapers, magazines. They're everywhere. What's happened? Why do you see those cars now everywhere? They were always there before, but the moment you are prepared to see them, your reticulate, your reticular activating system kicked in and suddenly you saw them everywhere. It happens in other areas of life. It's not just cars or your cell phone or whatever. We see what we are prepared to see. If we are prepared to see doom and gloom this year, then that's what we're gonna see. If we prepared to see problems obstacles, challenges, that's what we're gonna see. On the other hand, if we are prepared by faith in God to see opportunities, to see overcoming, to see uh, uh, challenges that we can see God working through and not see them as ends, but as means to the end of triumphing, then that's what we're going to see. Sunshine and opportunities, we're gonna see that. Are you, what are you prepared to see? What do you want to see? Well, we've been working through this series called Make Room, and we're about halfway through. And guys, um, we've been asking God. We've been preparing to see God at work. We've been making room for God to move, for, uh, for us to be the family uh, that God calls us to be, and to grow the family that God is calling us to reach. So today I want to talk about seeing with new eyes to see the crowd see the opportunity that exists in the community that we live in, in the church that we're a part of, because God is calling us to see that crowd because he calls us to compassion. Look at people differently. Look at your life differently. Look at situations differently. And we're gonna talk about seeing the crowd before us. So I come to a, a passage of scripture in the gospel of Matthew chapter nine. Jesus continued, now we're talking about Jesus' ongoing earthly ministry. God in human flesh comes down. He's got eyes, he's got hands, he's got heart. He's, he's walking among the people and it says, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and the villages. Just Jesus did this. He got out among the people. He met people. He saw people. I see you. That's what he did. God came down for us. It says he was teaching in their synagogues. What did he see? He saw a group of people gathering and he saw an opportunity in their gatherings 
places? Because we've learned God shows up in places and spaces to meet us, to do something. So he went where the people were, where the crowds were. They were in the synagogues. He went in the synagogues. It says he was preaching the good news of the kingdom. He saw people that needed to hear good news. Guys, Look out, see the crowds around us. See, are you following your social media feed? Are you watching anything? You're seeing crowds of people. You're seeing all the things going on. We've had a lot of bad news. We have a lot of polarization and friction and opposition and criticism and judging and, and just all the warfare and all that. We need some good news. And Jesus came in. He went to their places, their spaces. He saw the crowds and he's sharing with them the good news of the kingdom. He says, there's good news here, guys. In the midst of all the chaos, the poverty, the difficulty of their uh, life in the first century, he says, God's on the move. There's good news. God cares about you. God loves you. God sees you. And he sent me to tell you that he's on the move. There's good news. That's what we do. That's what we're called to. See this, see, see this crowd. He, it says here that uh, he was also healing every disease and sickness. He saw them in their misery. He saw them with all the ailments that they had physically, emotionally, spiritually. And it says he was healing them all. Every disease and sickness, whatever ails them, Jesus saw that and he says, I want to help you with that. I want to come practically into your life and do something about that. That's the heart of Jesus. That's seeing the crowd. So this is see the crowd, Jesus. You know, everybody sees crowds differently. Some people see it and have scorn and animosity and hatred. Not Jesus. He sees the crowd and his, his heart just goes out to them. You know, and so we've been talking about making room. And what I want to say to you today is we make room by giving everyone a taste of heaven. Because when Jesus came to earth, that's exactly what he did. He brought the kingdom of God. He brought the reign of God right down to where they lived. It wasn't in its complete full uh full blown, it's going to be in the, in the new heavens and the new earth, but he gave him a taste of it. He wanted to reach everybody. He wanted to build bridges to people and he was sharing God, the good news, teaching God's word. Do you believe that God's word has answers? When you look at the crowd, do you think these, these folks could be helped by me, me getting good news of, of Jesus to them? The book, this book is true. It has answers. Do we believe that? We share that good news of the kingdom. We're all a mess, guys. All of us have our faults, our shortcomings, um, but God has uniquely and supremely come to us in Jesus Christ. And there's no other way you're going to find the really, truly good news that delivers people and brings hope into their lives apart from Jesus Christ. We are part of a totally different movement. We are part of the kingdom of God. There are, there are other kingdoms in this world. And they may be important and they have their place and they, they have their movements and they have their moments. But there's one kingdom that will last forever. And Valley Church is utterly committed to advancing the kingdom of God. We are making room for God to move. And in this passage, Jesus is on the move, doing good works, sharing good news. He's healing every disease and sickness. Wherever Jesus goes, and I hope wherever his people go and wherever his people meet, there's opportunities for healing and restoration and wholeness and blessing and goodness. That's what God has for you today. He met very practical needs. Jesus rolled up his sleeves, gave of his time, gave of himself, gave of his power, and what he was able to do, he gave people a taste of heaven on earth. All these tastes that he was giving them were a sign of much bigger things to come through his cross, through his death, through his resurrection, through his ascension, through his coming again, and the work of the church for the last 2,000 years. Here at Valley Church, 
We've been mobilizing everybody's God-given potential to deeply love Christ and their neighbors. That's our mission. And we're asking, to, we're asking God, would you help us to make room for you to move in our midst, to be family, to connect with one another, to have spaces and places on our campus where there are opportunities for us to connect and opportunities for us to welcome people to connect. Um, and we're seeing that happen in our, in our worship gatherings together all over the place. Uh, we're, we're, whenever we gather together, we're trying to give people a taste of heaven, a taste of meeting God, a taste of a personal encounter with Christ. Uh, in our life groups, a taste of community, a taste of heaven on earth in our student ministries, in our children's ministries, in our disability hand-in-hand uh, -hand ministry, in our Valley Community Center, and all our community bridges. So many things I could mention, but we're trying to give people a taste of the God who loves them and cares about them because we care about people. And so our hearts are moved to say, I wanna see this crowd with the eyes of Jesus, to see the crowd, make room for God to move. Uh, you know, we're all in different situations, I get it. You know, we all can't do everything but it will require, and it will require different people and different approaches. But what, what happens is we do what Jesus did. We get involved in people's lives. We say, okay, I'm willing to not just be a spectator, not just to watch it happen, but actually get involved in the game, get out of the stands, onto the field. This is what Make Room is about. It says, I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna make a difference through my serving, through my praying, through my giving, uh, and through reaching and inviting. I'm gonna make a difference. Um, and, and here I wanna tell you that the want to of Make Room is way more important than the how to. I, I mean, it, it's, yeah, we got, we'll show you stuff, you know, of the designs and, and the new facilities and the growth of the campus and, and the compassion ministries we're gonna have. Th those are all great and we're gonna share about those. But I, I'm telling you, the want to, saying I want to give people a taste of heaven. I want to experience a taste of heaven and I have through Jesus Christ. And I want more people to experience this taste of heaven. The want to is more important than all the how to. Um, I've often said love will find a way. Indifference will find an excuse. So we're going to just say during this Make Room series, no excuses, jump in, get involved, be all in. Let's keep going. Verse 36, when Jesus saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them. He was moved with compassion. They were distressed. They were dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Here we go, here, here's the principle here. See the crowd as Jesus sees them. See the crowd as Jesus sees them. Okay, I want you to look, see Jesus here. He's seeing the crowd. Maybe there's some religious leaders in this, in this photo as well. And they, they see the crowds differently. What the Pharisees saw were people that were disgusting to them. They, they were unwashed. Uh, they were uneducated. They were sinners. They were terrible people. And the Pharisees thought, we're all that. And they looked out to the crowds and they just had a sense of superiority. They had a sense of we're better than you are. They had a sense of you're all messed up and we got it all together. And when Jesus, who was the son of God, absolutely perfect, never once sinned in his life, when he saw the crowds, he didn't think any of that. Instead, he thinks compassion. His heart is moved. He feels for them. He empathizes with them. His heart is moved because he says they, he saw them because they were distressed. Uh, the word means to be bullied, to be thrown down, is dejected. It's just like, I'm so uh, di distressed about my situation. Lots of people in our culture, mental health issues and problems, all time high in our country. People are distressed. They need a taste of heaven. 
We need to see them in their distress and not judge them and say, well, they're messed up because they, they, they don't agree with me in this view or they're messed up because they're not like me. Whatever, we see them and instead of writing tickets like the Pharisees did, we, um, we, our heart has moved like Jesus was. What Jesus saw, he says they're distressed, they're, they're, they're just beat up by life and they're dejected. They just wanna quit. They're just tired of it all. They wanna throw in the towel. And what if, what if someone could come into their life? What if a church could move into their space? What if we could meet, move into their space, see them with different eyes than the Pharisees and say our hearts move toward them? Because you know what? Yeah, there's a lot of problems there. There's issues there. There's, there's disagreements. We have serious dis, dis, uh, disagreements with people and so forth. But what if we could see uh, uh, past all that and see the common ground of humanity that we all share? We're all sinful. We're all broken. We're all messed up. And we just have a heart of compassion toward people and care. Um, the Pharisees looked at them as the sheep. Sheep are dirty. Uh, they're not smart. Uh, and they just rejected them. And what Jesus saw, yes, he saw that they were dirty. He saw that they were unwise, but he also saw them as absolutely defenseless. Uh, a sheep without a shepherd, when you hear that phrase in the Bible, sheep without a shepherd, you better start, you, you gulp. It's like, what? A sheep without a shepherd, because what it means is certain death. A shepherd not there to protect the sheep, they're easy pickings for the enemy. They have an adversary. They have a, someone who preys on them. And here Jesus says, I, I can't t take that. I can't stand for that. So he rises up in his heart. His spirit is wells up within him to have compassion to them. Is that how you feel about it? Is that how you look at your, your culture, this community, people at your workplace, people in your neighborhood, maybe in your own family? Are, are you just disgusted with them? Or you're like, my heart's moved. This is really tragic. This is so hard because they don't know the shepherd. They don't have anybody, they don't know anybody in their life to protect them. What if they met Jesus? And that crowd that day that Jesus looked out, they had all types. There were the moral, the immoral, the casual, the, 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 the casual people that were just kind of following him. There were high interest people that were like really interested in what he had to say. They were the messed up, they were the self-assured. There was rich and poor, young and old, men and women. There are all types there. And he saw them. I remember when in 1990, Valley Church leadership, church of 40 people, calls me here to visit West Des Moines. I'd really never spent much time here. And I came there that day, and I remember going to the corner of uh, 50th and Ashworth Road, 50th Street and Ashworth Road in West Des Moines, and I stood at one particular corner, and I looked out, and I just saw a sea of humanity, of homes and schools, and it just moved my heart. And I said, this is where you've called me to be, Lord. And I said, use me however you can to, to bless this community, to reach people. And I'm just so grateful that I joined uh, uh, this movement as, as the pastor. And, and I was joining the people that already had that heart. The, the original folks that came here to, to start this church uh, a few months before. When we got here, we were joining people that were like, yes, we have compassion on the crowds. Um, the truth is today, people want guide, guidance. They want some direction in their life. They're looking and they're looking in all the wrong places. And guess what? 
There used to be, in, the, in our culture, there used to be signposts up that said, this is the way. There used to be some guidance. There were signs, directional signs that says, this is the right way to go. Today, all those signposts are down. They're all been removed. And now it's every man, woman, and child for himself or herself. And they're sheep without a shepherd. So are our hearts moving and say, I want to do something about that. They all, everybody you meet who doesn't know Jesus, they're all sheep without a shepherd and Jesus had compassion. Now, the truth is sometimes we're in the middle. Sometimes, I mean, there's a spectrum here, right? You got your Pharisees on the one end and they're like arrogant and they have contempt for the people and they're disgusted with them. And then on the other hand, you have Jesus who's moved with a sense of compassion and urgency to do something about it. Sometimes we're, we're not at either end, maybe. Sometimes I find myself, maybe you're there. You're in the middle. You're like, yeah, yeah, that's a problem. But we're more or less kind of clueless about what people are actually going through. Or we're complacent. It's like, yeah, that, 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 that's, a, that's a problem, but I'm not really going to you know, get involved. Or we're selfish. It's like, you know, I got my own problems. Or we're just busy. We mean well, but we never quite get around to seeing the crowd, really seeing them. We're just too busy looking at our phones. We're too busy doing this. And we don't see, man, there's people I know and meet, and they're completely lost. And Jesus had a heart for people who are lost, sheep without a shepherd. The last, the least, the lost, the left out. He cared about them. And he was moved with compassion. And I'm going to tell you, to see the crowd, it takes a second look. It takes seeing a bigger picture. What could happen with these people if, if they met Jesus? What potential do they have if Jesus could become a part of their lives? And Jesus moves when he sees the crowd. He moves into an imagery, a parable, a saying that was common in their culture. And it's sort of common in Iowa. We, we, we meet in the, we, we're in the capital, Des Moines, the metro area. But all around us, I mean, Des Moines is basically the capital uh, city of a gigantic farm. And all around us is farmland, you know, for hundreds of miles. A few cities here and there, but a lot of farmland. So he went to this harvest imagery, which we're familiar with in the state of Iowa. And uh, I want you to remember back to a series um, that we went just before this, the Spiritual Geographic. Remember when we did the Jacob's Well? He met a woman at the well, and she was there to get some water. And he asked her for a drink, and she said, you know, why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. Because they had all this animosity and hostility. And he says, if you knew he were talking to you right now, you'd ask him and I'd, he'd give you living water. And eventually he says, he reveals to her everything she ever knew. And he wants her to follow him. She, he, he has gone out of his way to meet this Samaritan. We're like the arch enemies. When we hear good Samaritan in the first century Israel, that's an oxymoron. There isn't a good Samaritan. That's like saying, you know, uh, you know, a really good ISIS member or a really good terrorist. Or they just couldn't stand one another. There's a lot of racial tensions. There are a lot of religious tensions. And he goes out of his way to see her. He picked one out of a crowd of people to see her. And he's going to use her to tell all these Samaritans. So I want you to check out this, um, this clip from The Chosen where he reveals himself to her as the Messiah and then she goes and tells. Check it out. I am rejected by others. I know, but not by the Messiah.
And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon, just the heart. <laughs> you promise? I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> Hey, wait! Your water! You forgot your um. Papsi, your man, you told me everything I ever did! <laughs> um, Rabbi, we got food. What would you like? Ah, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Who got you food? Wait a minute. You told her? Mm -hmm. And she can tell others? What food? My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to accomplish his work. Y you told her who you are? Mm -hmm. So does that mean? It means we're going to stay here a couple of days. It's been a long time of sowing. But the fields are ripe for harvest. And so it's time. Let's go. Yes! <laughs> So a great scene. We're on the move. We are on the move. The woman left her water jar, went into town, told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? She's not even sure. She still has questions about this, but she's pretty sure he's amazing and he's the Messiah. And they left the town and made their way to him. Now, the Samaritans are going to go meet a Jewish rabbi who she says, this could be the Messiah. This could be the one that we've all been waiting for. And the Samaritans and the Jews had a lot of overlap, but they had their hostilities. And in the meantime, he saw, uh, in the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And they're like, well, could someone have brought him something to eat? What's he talking about? I, I didn't see anybody bring, he, you know, nobody delivered here. He didn't do DoorDash. How, did, how could he possibly have food here? And they're all caught up in this very earthly thinking of food to eat. And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's what fuels me. There's more to life than just food. Food. See, they were focused on the happy meal with the little bag. Here, here's your food to eat. And he's, he said, I'm not about a happy meal. I'm here for harvest time. And so my question for us, all of us, is are we about the meal, the happy meal? what we're gonna enjoy, what we're gonna do, our next meal, our next thing, next enjoyment, next comfort, next meal, or are we about the mission? Do we say, I have other food, I have what spurs me on, what makes things happen, Where, where's my food? And we move, and this is so important, we move from being consumers, where's the food, to contributors, where's the mission? I have food to do, I have work to finish. That's what Jesus was like. And so I wanna just challenge you, it's easy, to, uh, to come and, and enjoy the, the meals that are prepared weekly here for Valley Church in our worship and in, in the Word of God. And we, we work hard to prepare uh, for, to, to have gatherings with the people of God. And it's our, it's our time of family. And that's amazing. And those are so important. But we also don't just take it in. 
because it took the blood, sweat, toil, and tears of people to make room for you to have that uh, as they sacrificed through the last three decades. And so Jesus says to them, don't just think about the happy meal. Think about the mission. I have got food that you don't even know about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Is that what you say? That's what I live for, to finish the work God's given to me? He says, verse 35, don't you say, or I like some translation says, you have a saying. It's like a saying that they had in their culture. You have a saying. There's still four more months and then comes the harvest. You can condense it down. Four more months and then the harvest. Four more months and then the harvest. What, what's this saying all about? We don't have any context for that, a lot of us, because we, we didn't grow up on a farm. But in the first century, it was all agricultural, and they had a saying, and the four more months than the harvest was a saying. And the saying was about, it could be used in a variety of ways, but it could be about like procrastination. It's like, we need to get this done. And they're like, oh, four more months and then the harvest. Four more months. We'll get to that when we get to that, in other words. That's basically what it means. It's like, why uh, do today what you can put off till tomorrow? You know what I'm saying? And their phrase, the way they said that was, four more months, then the harvest. Four more months, then the harvest. It's just springtime now. We'll get to that later. That's what they're saying. And he's saying, you have a saying, don't you? This is what you say all the time. And everybody knew, yeah, that, that's the saying. Uh, this procrastination or there's obstacles. We'll get to that someday. There's barriers. Well, maybe someday we'll do that. But Jesus says, no, 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 not someday, today. Why not start today? Why not here? Why not Nile? Why not Des Moines? Listen to what I'm telling you. He says at the end of verse 35, open your eyes, see the crowd, see the crowd and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. So in this scene, uh, she goes back into town. The woman at the well goes back in town, has all of her Samaritan friends come and meet um, this uh, Jewish uh, rabbi, the Messiah, she thinks. And she says, this is the Messiah. It's amazing. And he says, see the crowd. Open your arm. Look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. And as they, the disciples, see all these Samaritans coming their way, they're ripe for harvest. What do the disciples maybe first see. They might have been excited, but then they see all the Samaritans come. First they see these people have been our enemies for 500 years. They don't believe like we believe. That they have, they have beliefs that are differ, different than ours. And that looks like that would be a lot of hard work to work through all those. And so they see that. And Jesus, he says, see the harvest. They, maybe they saw this is a lot of hard work, or maybe they saw all the hostility that existed toward those people. That's going to be no. See, where 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 what I called a problem, heaven calls a harvest. I, I say, well, that that that's going to be a difficult person to reach because they have all these different. No, that's a harvest. Look, at, open your eyes, see the crowds differently. See, if the devil can keep us from recognizing the opportunity, then he can keep us from harvesting the harvest. If we don't recognize that this is an opportunity, not an obstacle, yeah, there are, there's hard work involved in the harvest, for sure. But he says, it's time. It's not someday we'll do this. Now is the time. I believe that God has a time for us of spiritual awakening in our midst, and we need to do something and be something for Des Moines. And it's time. We're ready. It's time to move forward. And the truth is, and we know this as good Iowans, if you don't reap it, it rots. If you don't jump in when the time comes, eventually you can't harvest it anymore because it just rots in the field. 
Um, and so there comes a moment in time where you don't just come for the happy meal. You don't just come to eat. You come to harvest. You're not just enjoying the fruit of the harvest. You're coming to be involved in the harvest. And that's why we've been saying, make room for God to move. Uh, and there's all sorts of practical ways. I'm going to tell you about uh, two incredible uh, compassion ministries that we're having. I'll, I'll mention very briefly right now, just the things that we're doing in terms of spaces and places. You can check them out. Uh, these are just renderings of, of opportunities that are before us to, to have more worship venues, some more parking, some more seats in the auditorium, some more places and spaces for our kids, for mid-size gatherings, for life groups, just making places and opening it up. Guys, when our building was built in 2000, it was for a church of 700 people. Last weekend, over the Easter weekend, we had almost 6,000 people here. It's time. It's harvest time. It's time to make room for the harvest that God is bringing. I, don't th I think the best is yet to come for Valley Church. I've been here for 33 plus years, and I've never seen anything like this. It's just absolutely amazing. So I hope you're getting charged up, and I hope you're praying about how you can be involved that you're praying about that Commitment Sunday coming up April 28th, and you're saying, how can I give to make a difference? And it's not just about facilities, though that's just life happening, places and spaces where God makes life happen, where we can welcome people, be family, grow the family, God moves. We have a couple of other ministries I wanna to mention to you. Uh, as we have always done with every one of our major ministry expansions, we've always had led the way with compassion initiatives. Uh, with things outside of Valley Church, but we want to come alongside and, and be a part of. And so I want to mention two to you. Two to you. First one is an incredible uh, ch uh, thing called Change Course. Great ministry. Uh, here's a video to tell you all about it. And there's going to be opportunity to support this. Check it out. They had to drop me off at the front door of Yankton Federal Prison Camp and then drive on home to Des Moines. My wife was crying all the kids were crying, and I was sobbing. And I thought, how could I have done this to them? It was one of the worst days in my life. I truly couldn't believe I was here. I didn't want to go in and meet the men that I was going to meet because I had a vision of what they were like when I was checking in as one of them. Once I got in there, I knew it was where I had to be. It was time to accept the consequences of the choices that I had made and do what I could to repair the damage that I had caused. After I got out and I was working and things were going very well, I kept thinking of the men that were returning to prison. And they go back to the same exact community that they were just in, and nobody would give them a job, so what do they do? They sell drugs again. They steal. Within a year, 44% of them come back. Why should a middle-class white man have an opportunity that these men of different backgrounds don't have the same opportunity that I do? And they changed me. They changed the way I viewed the American dream. Not everybody has an opportunity. What if we change that? What if they got an opportunity like I did? The vision of Change Course is to develop people out of poverty. 
to have a tremendous impact by taking the gifts and the talents, the beauty of that person, and developing it physically, spiritually, and mentally, and in a career field, so that they can become the best person that they possibly can be. That they are a person of character that any employer would want to hire. Change Course is a six-month personal and career development program for people who need second chances, often coming out of incarceration, addiction treatment, or stuck in the welfare trap. In Change Course, the first six weeks are personal development. What are your strengths? What do you have to offer? Who you really are? And after that six weeks, we go into a two and a half month career skills development. And the career that is perfect for your skills and your passions give you those basic skills in the workplace. And then we go on and you get that career launch. When Jesus said, what are the two greatest commandments? The Pharisees said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus knew that it was gonna take you out of your comfort zone. Loving your neighbor is inconvenient. It's putting your arms around them and walking with them for a period of time and teaching them not only how to be a good employee, but how do you be a good person? Teaching them that you have value and dignity just because you were born. And man, you have something to offer to this community that nobody else does. But what we do requires a lot of labor. It requires a lot of one-on-one -on -one time. And we need the personnel necessary to be able to do that as the numbers keep growing of those people who are come to our organization needing help. We need you to participate and give of yourself and give of your resources to truly make a change in this city. That is so incredibly exciting, and we get to be involved in this. We already have lots of volunteers that are doing that. We wanna come along then with volunteers financially to support this, and let's make this thing go just amazing. And, and let's see the harvest, see the crowds in a different way. They're people, they matter to God, and they should matter to us. So we're gonna lead the way with that, uh, and bless that ministry who's closely connected to Valley Church, a great partner. Another partner we've had for a long time is Wildwood Hills Ranch. Uh, they're launching a new uh, family advocacy ministry. Uh, it's in various churches. We're one of the lead churches for that, and we're calling that ministry Thrive. And it's really helping vulnerable families um, thrive. Helping vul vulnerable families and children thrive. That's what we want to do. So just to give you a little taste of how God is at work in crazy ways in the life of Valley Church, I wanna introduce you to a couple of families uh, in this video and their story. Check it out. God has put together our family in a way that I, I never dreamed, you know, prayed to be, you know, a father. And it didn't happen the way that we thought it was gonna happen. And so God began to work in my heart and this story of our oldest and then um, 
our middle child was adopted out of state. Um, all those things reinforced what we know that God, God does have a plan and you know, praying for that plan under his will versus how we view it. We had uh, listed with an agency, um, an, an adoption agency in, in Des Moines here, and we'd filled out all the paperwork and we're just kind of anxiously waiting. And then we got the call that, you know, uh, an expectant mama had chosen us. When it all came to be, like when we, met our little girl. It was just an awesome story of how she had already attended church here several times and how people in the, the our church family had already been praying for her because she had been a member of our church since she had been attending with the Hansons. God has gifted all of us things. We felt like at that time, the thing, it was time and resources. I And we had a series of friends that were um, in the process of that and it felt like every time we turned around that's the conversation that we were having with people it was like foster care and so we decided to that God was asking us to do that I kind of had a vision that we would do school-aged kids or younger we were not wanting to do babies and so we were like school-aged kids will be great it'll fit right into with you know the flow of what we're doing we can we can help kids out that way and his um, has a relative who happened to be the director of Bethany Christian Services. They at the time had newborn babies that they needed interim care for. And so she said, we need you guys to do this. There was a baby that was born um, that was probably not gonna go home uh, with birth mom. And so we yeah, took home the, the newborn baby and time went on and we just, you know, prayed for her, prayed for birth mom, um, you know, brought her to life group and everybody held her. And, and then we, we got a call from um, the director and said, you know, I think we found a adoptive family for her. And I think that they go to Valley Church. When the, we did find out that the mom had picked us, and I think this was the next week we'd be able to actually meet her and bring her home. We were sharing that joy and, you know, there's a lot of worry and, and that uncertainty, but, you know, faith that God, you know, has taken us this far. He's not gonna, not gonna stop now. Literally we know that uh, just a couple rooms over uh, from Courtyard Hall where we meet this life group that uh, our little daughter was in the arms being held by the life group of, of the Hansons. Uh, only God can, can write a story like that. I just remember, you know, cause you have this, this baby for two months and your kids are saying things like, I'm gonna be so sad when she leaves. Can we keep her? I mean, they're, they are so, we are so smitten with this baby. And um, we're, no, you know, we're praying for God to give her a forever family. And so it was so precious to us that God would place her in Valley Church. It just felt like such a tenderness to our family. Everybody's called to something different. Um, you may be called to adoption, you may be called to foster care, and you may be just called to love the person in front of you. You, you need to ask God, what do you want me to do with what I have? By saying yes, it was an honor, I guess, to be a part of the story. I mean, I don't, you know, we just showed up. I mean, I, we didn't do anything heroic, we just, you know, loved on a little baby girl the best we could but to be a part of the story is yeah 
an honor, I yeah. guess, and a privilege. With Baby Girl, she was brought into this world under difficult circumstances, yet she was so loved. She was loved by a birth mom and a foster family and all of the people surrounding us and her adoptive family and all the people surrounding them. I mean, her life was, it was God's love from the very beginning. If you would have said we'd have A, been in foster care, been foster parents and adopted through that uh, before we even started this process to see how God had worked through each one of these steps, um, I would have said, there's no way. But, uh, and again, now at this season of our life where, um, you know, the next steps with this and thrive, it's how can we serve in a way to encourage others through our story um, of how God was faithful, but also just uh, the, the things that we experienced that we would love to, uh, um, you know, try to go, come alongside of others um, to, to be there with them is what is really exciting about this, this next season. So guys, we are so privileged to be able to lead this ministry expansion with this opportunity to thrive, helping vulnerable families children and families thrive and through just this networking and connection time uh, to really launch a brand new ministry at Valley Church that uh, is connected to foster care, helping biological families be able to uh, maintain their families and their children, um, coming alongside foster parents, uh, coming alongside people that want to adopt. We're, we're, this is a major ministry we want to launch here at Valley Church. So as you involve yourself in this make room, ministry expansion. You're not just contributing to help us make room uh, in the facilities and on the campus, but you're helping us to launch two, um, to join in and be a part of launching two amazing new ministries here in Des Moines. So please, I ask you to join us. As Jesus said, back to Matthew's gospel, he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant. It's overwhelming. There's lots there, but the workers are few. The truth is it was the first century the 21st century, some things re never really change. Um, the truth is the opportunities are endless before us, but the challenges are real. The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Um, we know about a harvest in Iowa. I mean, we're harvest people. Here's a beautiful farm. And, and I want you to see that. And that, that's kind of what that what we see, and Jesus, that's how he saw, this picture is how Jesus saw the crowds. He just said this, check this out, Jesus looking at the crowd, and he just sees them as a harvest field. It's like, this could be so amazing. Could you imagine all these hundreds and thousands of people in Des Moines? Could we see the crowd that way? There was nearly 6,000 people here over the Easter weekend. By the way, guys, it was never a goal of mine to come and pastor a large church. I, I, I never could have even imagined this. Are you kidding me? Came here, there were 40 people here, but here's what happened. Those 40 people made room for one more, and then those 100 people made room for one more, and it just kept growing one by one by one by one, household by household, person by person. And over these last years, it, it's grown to 6,000 people. It's because we make room for one more. We make room for God to move. We make room to be family. We make room to grow the family. The harvest is plentiful. There is absolutely no shortage in the harvest. Do you believe the word of Jesus Christ? There is no shortage in the harvest. 
let's quit wringing our hands about our culture going down the drain and so forth. I know the challenge is real. I don't know what's in store for our nation, for our community, but I know this, the harvest is abundant. There are abundant opportunities. There are no shortage of opportunities. There's no shortage of people in need and, and opportunities for compassion. Could we see the crowd with a different eye? Because when you put on those glasses, then you understand the shortage is not in the harvest. The shortage is in the workers for the harvest. You see, context is important here. When we think, a lot of us non-farmers, I'm not a farmer. When we think harvest, we're thinking like farmer's market. Yippee, wow, great food. That's what our idea of harvest is. You know, abundance, blessing, all this great stuff. A farmer, when you say harvest, says, this is the hardest time. This is a lot of hard work. This is make or break time. This is where all that's come before really comes down to harvest time. That's what it is. See, there's no drive-through harvest. You don't just drive through and order it and it comes out the window. It doesn't work that way. You gotta get out in the fields. You gotta work really hard to get a harvest. It's hard work. Harvest time is big time. And everybody in the family, that farmer's family is involved in some way in harvest time. I don't care if they're five years old, they're involved. I don't care if they're 85 years old. Some way they're involved. And that's what Jesus is saying. All y'all come together. It's harvest time. And we need everybody to do this. It's harvest time. The workers are few. There's so much harvest to bring in, but so little time before winter. And so few of workers that are willing to step up and be a part of the harvest. Can you catch that vision? The solution is very straightforward. It's not complicated. We have enough leaders and planners and visionaries. What we need are people who will step in and say, I'll be involved. We need workers. Serving, giving, praying, reaching, inviting. Now, is, I'm saying, he's saying, is the time for your involvement. Here's the principle. Now is the time for your involvement because it is W-O-R-K. It is work to financially sacrifice. It is work to serve. It is work to pray. You know, I, I was hearing somebody tell a story about their um, uh, niece. Uh, their niece was on, the, on the, invited her to come out to the farm. She's a little kid, 10 years old. And, uh, and they go out on the farm to pick corn. And they're doing this by hand. And, uh, you know, and, and it was fun for a while. And finally, after a while, she wasn't from the farm. So after a while, she finally speaks up and she goes, you know, you can buy this stuff at the grocery store. You see, that's her image of it. You can just, just buy this stuff. And it doesn't work that way. It's sacrifice. It's hard work. It's generosity. Here in Iowa, we, we know about corn picking. Okay, here's somebody picking corn by hand. That's kind of the old-fashioned way. But even this, the other way, you know, there's a lot of work involved in this. This is a tremendous amount of work. Say it with me. The corn is not going to pick itself. It's not going to. We're going to have to get involved. It's not going to just sit out there. We all are involved. We're involved by praying, by inviting people, by serving. And in this particular season, once every decade, I mean, 12 years ago, we did our ministry expansion. It involves getting involved and saying, I'm going to give. I'm going to give financially. So we're asking to pray, how could God be living, leading you to very generously give an over and above amount over a course of four years 
um, to this ministry expansion. I want to take you quickly. We're going to have a giving guide. It's going to be uh, coming to your mailbox in the next week or so, and you're going to see that giving guide. Just walk you through it just a little bit, what you're going to be seeing here. Um, it, it, it's just a, a letter from our leaders here where we're asking you for this transformational moment to, to just set aside some time as an individual or as a family to say, we're going to pray through how our family could be involved. So keep going. Um, what could it look like to make room? And we give you all those things to think about uh, for God to move to be the family, have spaces and places where people can connect here on our campus and for us to grow the families, to have more places and spaces where people could worship, be in life groups, be in our student ministries, children's ministries, and for our community. Um, there's a spiritual side to money and to giving. We walk you through that in this, uh, in this guide, keep going. Um, we, we learn that God owns everything and everyone is investing in something. We're, we're all putting uh, our uh, resources somewhere. And it's just, just you can't out give God. I mean, he always blesses. And not always financially, but you give, you sacrifice for his kingdom. And he says, I'll give you, all these things will be given to you as well. He says, seek first the kingdom. So we put God first and we go over and above and you can't outgive God. Uh, and life is fuller when we trust him. Sometimes when we're making these uh, commitments, it's, it's, I think most people are, they're, they're, the thing that, that keeps them from giving sacrificially and generous, generously is not greed, it's fear. It's not that they, they, they're greedy, it's that they're afraid. And what I'm going to tell you is you cannot give God and life is fuller when we just trust him, when we step out in faith and believe that he can provide for us. Keep going here. Um, we'll look through some scriptures together. We're going to keep going. Um, just keep rolling here. Some guidance from scripture just to help you process this whole idea of sacrificial generosity. Two big questions to ask God. Why? Why should I do this? And how much should I do? How much should I commit to over these next four years? Um, discerning each of us is going to have a different role because we're not all called to equal gifts. We're called to equal sacrifice. Everybody gets involved in the harvest, right? So, um, so we, we ask three questions. What can I reasonably give? So it's like, yeah, this would be a stretch for us, but this is something that we believe, God, we could do. Second question is, uh, what would I be willing to sacrifice? So we get creative with this and we give you some great tools to get creative of saying, if I just sacrifice this or this, you know, how can I multiply that over the course of four years? And guys, you're going to be astounded as you work through that. Keep going. Uh, um, as you work through this chart that we have for you, you're going to be amazed at how that multiplies over the next four years. Uh, question number three, what can I give through greater reliance on God? So the faith factors, like, do I believe that God can provide and see, when you decide, pre-decide ahead of time, I'm going to trust God to stretch me to, to give in this way, that faith factor. The thing is, you, your reticular activating system shows up, and then when God provides it, you saw it coming. Because you're like, I'm praying that we could give this extra amount, and then lo and behold, God provides some unexpected uh, income, or he provides some blessing, or sale of something comes through, or you get a refund on something you weren't expecting. And then he says, that's it, that's God, because you were looking at it. You saw the crowd, you saw the need, you say, I want to be involved, and you stretch. So that's what that's about. Um, and then putting it all together, we just happy have worksheets, and you, you say, as a, as a household, we're going to commit to do this um, together. So you're going to add this all together and then you're going to come to Commitment Sunday. Uh, this reminder to bring your commitment on Sunday, April 28th. So start praying now. When you get the giving guide in the mail, work through that. Set aside some time. Be praying about this. I just asking you, please pray, 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 and then come with that. And together, 
all of us together in harvest time, we can achieve the vision that God has put before us. There, the, the resources are here. Uh, the harvest is abundant. The workers are few. But if everybody comes in at harvest time, we can see this happen. I, I believe it's, it's going to be amazing. And there's all sorts of different ways to give. Um, you know, uh, and we outline the, for those in, in the giving guide. And then we look forward to Commitment Sunday on Sunday, April 28th. So just be praying about that. Uh, I would I just, from my heart, you know, we haven't done this in 12 years. Please prioritize this. Take this seriously and say, God, I want to be involved in the harvest. Um, the harvest is, is abundant, but the workers are few. The corn is not going to pick itself. It's going to require all of us to become involved in it. So here we go. The real problem is the harvest is so abundant, but we just need more people to get involved. Um, the last thing is this. Therefore, he says, pray to Lord the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. The, 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 uh, the, the, the solution to this problem, the harvest is abundant, the workers are few, is pray. Pray that God will raise up workers. Pray that God will send out workers. And you have to, when you pray that prayer, you have to be willing to say, I want to be a part of that, answer that prayer. It's just one person, but I'm willing to do my part to absolutely be sent out into the harvest field by my prayers, through my giving, through my serving, through my sacrifice. I'm absolutely willing. We don't say, here am I, send somebody else. Here am I, let somebody else give. No, we say, here am I, I'm here to serve. I'm here to be sent. It's not okay to sit this one out. It's not okay to let somebody else take care of it. And 80, 20, 80 per, you know, 80% of the stuff gets done by 20% of the people. No, it's all of it. It's 100% of us doing whatever we can to see this happen. So here's the last principle. Ask God to send us all into the harvest. Not most of us, all of us in the harvest to doing what we can in this harvest time um, to see the crowd. You know, we go back to the reticular activating system where you just kind of, once you see it, once you're looking for it, you're prepared to see it, then you start seeing it. Once you see the crowds, once you see the opportunity that around us at, at Valley Church and for the kingdom of Jesus, then you start seeing the opportunities. Then you see God showing up. You see God moving when you make room to see the crowds. On, um, on, to, uh, on Monday, this Monday of this week, is going to be a solar eclipse of the sun. And everybody... Um, you know, uh, you have to be careful about that because it's a dangerous thing to look into a solar eclipse. So people put on these glasses, right? And, um, and then they can look up and they can see the sun and they see all the glory and they take it all in and it's amazing. But here's the problem. Uh, if you just keep the, the, those solar eclipse glasses on when you get in your car and drive home from the eclipse, and that's uh, in another part of the United States. But if you're, if you're, if you're driving, you're, you're going to crash because you know, it's, 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 it's easy to just take in everything and just the glory of it all and just kind of enjoy it. But there comes a point when you have to take off the glasses and get back to life and see the crowd around you, see our community around you, see the incredible opportunity, be moved with compassion toward them and let that compassion activate you to prayer and to sacrificial generosity. See the crowd see the crowd. Lord Jesus, thank you that you saw us in all of our need. You saw us and you were moved with compassion. Um, help us to be people that are just moved with compassion, moved with faith, moved to sacrifice and moved to generously uh, give of ourselves over these next four years. Would you prepare our hearts for that uh, in that coming uh, Sunday? And in the meantime, help us to 
have to see the crowds around us in a different way, the way you saw them. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed and said, amen, amen. God bless you all. See the crowd.